and continued uh, to fine tune it uh, during the music today. Um, but, you know, I was so powerfully upbeat through um, first coming in here, and then Dylan's music was just so, so great this morning. It really just spoke, and it uh, uplifted, and it was, it, it was just, you know, really good. And then, and then Ben brought this downer message <laughs> of all the struggle we got. Uh, but isn't that the world? And yet we can proclaim, but the blood is still the blood. Uh, you know, this world will do that. And this is all part of why we, why we get into the word, why we fellowship, is because this world will try to beat us down. And, and, it, and it doesn't seem always uh, that there are the answers there. But we know the blood is still the blood. And that's both for all these struggles and it's for our own failings uh, when you might fall short and you beat yourself up. The answer is still the same. The blood is still the blood. <laughs> uh, because if it was on our own accomplishments, then... We're in trouble. But fortunately, the blood is still the blood. Uh, uh, today, I'm, 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 I was called uh, to the lectionary to teach last week <laughs> on this as part of the lectionary. So we're, we're, so we're a little out of order. So if your Easter time period is all messed up, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but as, as Ben and I joked a little bit about it going out of order, uh, I don't think... Uh, uh, that, that God will work it through for us, and we will uh, we will grow through the process. Uh, but I'm uh, teaching on uh, Matthew 17, one through nine. Uh, I've, I've titled this "Transfiguration, Transformation, God's Restoration Project," uh, and then added on an introduction to Lent. It just the the, the title kept growing as the as the message grew upon me. Uh, uh, but, you know, throughout Scripture, we're learning the process of God's creation and recreation. It's the promise that although the life initially intended with creation was changed by man falling short of our role, it, w it has not ended. God is in control, and new life is coming in the midst of change, even when we cannot see it or do not even believe it. Change always involves consequences and challenges. Change is not always obvious, uh, and the ultimate result is often not clear unless you are the architect of the process. As we watch a building going up piece by piece, and we see construction all over town, it stops and starts the construction, and you kind of wonder, what's this all going to be? How's it going to materialize? What's going to happen? And you don't really know what the final project is unless you were the architect of it in the first place. And that's true with this recreation of God. God was not caught unawares of the actions of Adam and Eve and the attempts by Satan. It's not like God had to, oh my gosh, what do I do now? God had it in control. One line from the song Dylan wrote that really struck me, that fits this, is the line that 
when the grave had me, that was not your plan. It was Satan's plan. But God knew the wiles of Satan, and God had a plan overcoming that. It never changed. God knew where we were going. And so when the grave has us, it doesn't really have us because God's got a plan and frees us from it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an exciting thing to, to remember uh, is that was never part of God's plan. And God already had already planned on how he was getting us out of that grave. And, and we can just trust that, that he had that under control because he is the architect. And he knew where it was going. The passage today that we're assigned to study <coughs> records an event called, referred to in uh, biblical terms as the transfiguration. As a kid, um, I'm sure I, I heard this story. I mean, I know I heard this story. I remember it all the time. Uh, but I don't think I fully understood it. And frankly, I'm still learning it. And, and, and I really was grateful for the opportunity to study it again uh, so I could grow more through the process. Um, what's interesting about Scripture is how when we immerse ourselves more and more in it, how there's more and more to learn and how we grow more and more. And I'm going to share with you later in this message an experience I had with God this morning uh, that uh, was just a wow moment. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I'm anxious to get to it, but i got to fit it in where it fits in. So, um, But let me read today's scripture for you. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, when I read Scripture, I often have a lot of questions. And so I started writing down my questions about this um, and, and started developing my teaching around looking for the answers to my questions. Because I figured if I have the questions, you might have those questions. Or if you haven't thought about it enough, my questions might prompt you uh, to think about it in a, in a certain way. And the first question was, how does this story fit within the big picture of God's plan? Why are we getting this story? I mean, God doesn't do things for no reason. Um, 
why did he just invite three of his disciples up? If it's such a big thing, why not have them all together to see it all? I mean, there's all kinds of questions uh, that, that foment. And, and in the process of studying this, you know, God started revealing some depth of it to me of how it fits within his plan. First off, I want to give you why we call this a transfiguration. <clears throat> um, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines transfiguration as a change in form or appearance, an exalting, glorifying, or spiritual change. The dictionary indicates a synonym is metamorphosis. Uh, the term is used to describe changes such as what a caterpillar goes through in the process of becoming a butterfly. And, and we, we, we call this the transfiguration, and what we're seeing is um, Jesus with Moses and, and Elijah, and, and, and we call this the transfiguration. But what do we mean by that transfiguration? I think it's fair to say that Jesus was not undergoing any change to make him better spiritually. Jesus was not being remade in any fashion. Therefore, we must seek the meaning we are to draw from this passage. It wasn't Jesus' transfiguration. Jesus was all in all. I believe the disciples who were invited to witness this event were simply invited to see Jesus in a purer light. A glimpse of seeing him as he truly is. As we, as we will see him more fully on the day of the Lord. We learn in 1 John 3, 1-3, As children of God, we do not yet know what we shall be. But we are assured we will be like him, and we shall see him as he is. That verse hit me the first time when I witnessed the funeral of my grandfather. Uh, um, during that funeral, my grandfather was a Methodist minister, and apparently it was a tradition. I wasn't aware of it until that service that in the funeral of another pastor, um, other Methodist ministers would sing this song and walk up and put their hand on the casket as they were singing it. And it's, behold, behold, we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know he shall appear. Yes, we know he shall appear. And we will be like him. We will be like him. We shall see him as he is. And they sing that they come from all over, and it's really powerful. Uh, any minister that's in the crowd gets up and sings this, and they walk forward. And it, it made a deep impression on me. And that verse has been uh, important. And I think that's what, what the disciples were invited to see was this purer form of Jesus, this transfiguration, not changing Jesus, but letting them see him in as he truly is because he had this physical body just like we do, this, this uh, tent of a human body. Uh, but we, they were seeing the, beyond that at this time. So it's introducing us to the reality that we are not in our final state yet. Jesus was complete and not in need of any improvement. So for him, this transfiguration was not an actual change in him, but a revelation to his invited guests and an introduction to us of what we shall be. 
I believe this revelation to these disciples were to provide them and us depth for their later ministry, but also to introduce us to the concept that we are not as we will be, but we are going through transformation, which will ultimately lead to the transfiguration of us becoming like him. We see affirmation of the value of this experience by both Peter and John. They were told not to talk about it yet until Jesus had been raised from the dead, but they did talk about it later and they incorporated it in their teachings. John said in John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Peter, in 2 Peter 1, verse 16, said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So they were able to use this to affirm their testimony and their teachings as they were passing this experience on to others. That is the same thing, and I think when I asked the question, why only the three of them? I think one, one reason for that is Jesus was showing us and God was teaching us the way his word is passed on and the power in which it's passed on. We don't all have to have the same experience. The purpose of God's word, the way he chooses to spread it, is through us sharing it. And so rather than needing all everybody to have this same experience, he called the three. And it was their job then to share it, just as it is our job to share it. God speaks through his people. And through God's wisdom, he deems that more powerful. And so I think that is one of the reasons, because he could clearly have done this show in front of everybody. But he didn't. And so we have to examine, when we're reading scripture, we have to look and try to figure out, so okay, why did God do this? And so I'm just sharing with you a little bit of how God spoke to me about maybe why he did this. And then how does this story then apply to my life? As indicated in the first John passage, we will be transfigured and we will be like him. I admit I do not fully know exactly what that will mean. When people ask me what's heaven like, I, I don't speculate. I don't try to tell them. I say, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I know we're promised that we will be in a pure form and we will be like him. We're promised that and our form intended by our Heavenly Father and we will be like him. And, and I anticipate this was the intention all along with creation. 
And I'm totally at peace with that knowledge. And so I, I don't try to guess. When people say, will I see my family? It was just asked of me the other day. Um, there's a woman that I did a trial for last March. And she's taken a habit of calling me in the evening because her, her sister, who she lived with, died. And she's lonely. And so she calls me. She lives up in South Bend. And she calls me. And my wife says, you're not going to take that call, are you? And I say, well, yeah, <laughs> I am. Uh, and so, and, and so we're, we, it's come to be a little bit of a habit in, in a few evenings of the week that we talk. And there's really nothing I can do really for her other than to give her someone to talk about. Um, but she asked me, she says, well, you believe we're going to see our loved ones in heaven, don't you? And I kind of dodged that question a little bit. I said, you know, I, I said, you know, I, I don't, I personally don't know all of what heaven's going to be like, but I said, I, I'm totally at peace with you, um, with that belief and that thought. Uh, uh, you know, I don't need to know I'm going to see my mom and dad. I'm at peace with that, whether I, I know my mom and dad are going to be in heaven. I, I trust their faith. But whether I'm going to see them as my mom and dad, I don't know. And I don't care whether I will or not. I, I don't need that for my faith. But some people do. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not, I don't want to stomp on your faith about that if you believe. If you believe you're going to actually see your loved ones, you might. I mean, what I can assure you is you're not going to be disappointed. <laughs> That's what I know. I'm not going to go to heaven and go, oh, my gosh, I don't get to see my mom's face, so I don't like this place. <laughs> I don't anticipate I'm going to say that. So, uh, so you, people ask me, are my pets going to be in heaven? And I don't know. I mean, I love my dogs. I was just hugging my dog this morning before we left uh, to come here for church, uh, and I really love them, and I would love the fact that I would see them in heaven. That would be really neat. Uh, but do I know that's going to be? I don't know. Uh, but I also know when people ask me that, I said, would that be heaven for you? And they go, yeah. I said, then go ahead and believe it's going to be. Because you're not going to be disappointed. <laughs> when you get there, you're going to be overwhelmed with what it is. And it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be wow. And so you're not going to be disappointed. Um, 2 Corinthians tells us, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's our process. Just as if we were there on that holy mountain seeing the transfiguration, we have seen the glory of the Lord as it has touched our hearts. So we, we feel that same experience. And through that experience and through our relationship, our studying of the word, our sharing with each other, our trying to live it on a daily basis, we're being transformed into his image. We won't really fully reach that until he comes again, until we see him, and then we will see him as he is, and we will be like him uh, at that time. But we are being transformed now, and our goal is to try to move that transformation, and try to live that. Uh, 
as we examine today's gospel lesson, we should consider, hey, I'm going to skip that. There was background uh, 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 to this um, that I think I can skip through the, without, you can read it if you go to my notes. <laughs> uh, but I want to move on. I want to move on to another question I've got here, and that is, why was Moses and Elijah there? You know, what was, what's that about? I know there are big people in the, in the word. I know there are big names. But why those? I mean, there were other big names in, in, in Scripture. Uh, why those? And my study is revealed, and I, and, I, and I feel good about this, is that Moses represents the law. He brought the Ten Commandments down. He represents the law. Elijah was a bigwig as a prophet. He was a well-known prophet, a big prophet. And there were a lot of prophets, so why Elijah? Can't exactly tell you, although Elijah was held up in many ways, and Elijah was going to be the one uh, that would come again, supposedly to lead in the... Uh, so he kind of represents prophecy and the prophets. So Old Testament is often referred to as the law and the prophets. Uh, <clears throat> and so it represents that while Jesus represents the fullness. Uh, and so we've got the law and the prophets there, and what does God say? With the law and the prophet there, God says, this is my son. Listen to him. So we've given you the law, we've given you the prophecies. Now I'm speaking to you through my son. This is the fullness those were partial. This is our fullness. And I think that's what we're to grab out of this and what we're to take. And as we apply this, in our Lenten season, we're going into the Lenten season uh, we're in the Lenten season. Uh, I, I, should have, I would have said we're going into the Lenten season last week, but this week we're already there. The Lenten season is the season where we talk about giving up something for Lent. <coughs> and I don't want to belittle um, the act of things like giving up chocolate. Uh, I, I think it's a, um, a small taste of what we're called to. But I don't want to belittle even that because as we teach kids or, or others the process of giving something up for Lent, it's part of our transformation process, learning. But what the Lenten season really represents is dying to this world, dying to the things that this world would teach us are important, and transforming our mind to live with the things that are important to God. Now, as I was going through this teaching, I had this all prepared. Now, I want to share with you, and I, that's why I wanted to rush through a little bit of it, because I really want to get to you the experience of this morning. Uh, my habit in the morning is that I get up at 5 in the morning and feed my dogs. Now, that's not a habit that I chose. <laughs> that's a habit that was chosen by my dogs. Uh, uh, somewhere along the line, they decided that 5 in the morning was a good time to eat their morning meal. 
And I get up. It doesn't bother me a lot to get up early. So uh, I get up and I feed them. But I usually don't need to be up at 5 in the morning. And so there's a time period. I get up, I eat with them too. Uh, but then after they eat and after I eat and they've been out, there's a time I would still have that I can go back to sleep. And so we've made it a habit uh, that I will go to my, I've got a double lazy boy, and I will go to my lazy boy, and I'll have a blanket there, and I will lay down to go back to sleep for a while. I'll lay it back, and, and one of my dogs, I have Great Danes, by the way, and they will come, and one of them will put their paws up on the seat next to me, and I will rub their chest a little bit, uh, and then they will curl up on the lazy boy next to me, and we will go back to sleep. The other one will lay on the sofa uh, near me. Uh, my dogs have free reign of our furniture. Uh, <coughs> but so we will get back, and they will curl up, and, and I can get back to sleep fairly well, and it's usually one of my best uh, times of sleep. Uh, this morning, we went through that routine. Um, the blanket I use is longer one way than it is another way. And so I usually try to make sure I get the long one towards my feet so it will cover up because it is a little chilly and it's nice to snuggle into that blanket. This morning, I got it wrong. And so I was laying down and the long was more sideways and, and so it, it was just barely over my feet and it just came up to about here and it was chilly, and so I wasn't really fully comfortable, but I was thinking I can, I can make this do, and I was trying to, trying to feel comfortable. I was fidgeting a little bit, but I was also then, I prayed to God. I said, God, I've prepared this message today. Um, uh, please, uh, Holy Spirit, guide me as I teach it and help me to uh, reveal the truths that you want me to reveal, uh, and and so I'm laying there, and I'm kind of running it through. And this is not unusual for me when I'm teaching on Sundays, is that I'll run it through in my head uh, while I'm laying there. And I'll still fall asleep most of the time, uh, and I think it still helps imprint that on my mind. Uh, but this morning I wasn't able to fall asleep, and I'm running this through in my head, and I'm fidgeting with the blankets, and I'm not quite feeling comfortable. But some of what I've taught you here was revealed to me during that fidgeting. Uh, uh, the particularly the one about why only bring, bringing three of them up and then the, and the need to share and, and, the, and, the, and the importance of spreading the word by, uh, by our words of mouth uh, and, and teaching us through this example of spreading it through us uh, as opposed to just having everybody uh, witness it. Uh, and so that was uh, feeling, uh, and, and as I'm fidgeting, uh, as I'm, as I'm, conjugating on this message, and, I, and I'm feeling more and more uh, comfortable. I started shifting the blanket, and the blanket started shifting a little bit. As I'm, as I'm, as I'm working through the Word of God, uh, the blanket's starting to cover me a little bit more, and at the end, after coming through this and feeling at peace with the message, I had the blanket, and it was just snuggled up to me, and I was fully warm, uh, and and I and I and I thought this was my experience with God, is is as I'm seeking God and as I can snuggle up with Him, 
uh, as I get into his word and as I get to coming to get to know him, you get that warm place. And, and, and I mean, I felt there was not one inch of me that was cold anymore. It was just perfectly warm. And I just, I mean, the, the comforting feeling I had with that. And, and, I, and I, I think that I was intended to share that, that that's the process of seeking to know God. As we seek to know him, he comes around us. And, and, he, and, and he fits with us like a glove because he designed us. He knows us. He knows what we need. And he knows the comfort we need. And I tell you, it was just an amazing feeling. I was just, I mean, I was, I was actually overheating after a while because it was so warm and comforting. Uh, and, and I thought, wow, that is what the study of God, the relationship with God, the seeking God brings us to. Is that, is that feeling of comfort uh, and the process of which to remember that God did not, as, as, the, as the words in the song were, he doesn't leave us in the grave. This world wants to put us in a grave. But God knew what Satan's plans were, and God had him trumped from the very beginning, which leads us as we go into communion to remember that other song our victory song is, the blood is still the blood. Uh, and we, we can have that peace, that comfort, that knowledge that we're going to be like him. And in the meantime, he wants to comfort us. He wants to have us in that warm place where we're at peace with him, even as this world throws these illnesses and these, these sicknesses and these things with us. We remember the great architect of the plan is in control. He knows the finished product, and we can be at peace with him. Now, if you'll join me, uh, I'd like to finish in a prayer uh, that I wrote uh, following this uh, message. If you'll stand with me. Heavenly Father, as we with unveiled faces contemplate your glory, we know we will be transformed. However, we know you desire us to pursue that transformation now. We desire to do your will. We desire to be transformed. Guide us in our daily lives. Open our eyes to see and give us hearts to do your will, that we may live now so that we can live in your kingdom now as it is in heaven. Amen.